to Psalms 100, to the 100th Psalm. This morning we continue, <coughs> excuse me, preaching a series that I'm calling Standing on the Promises. The Thanksgiving season is up on us, and I have challenged myself, and I'm challenging you. All I do when I preach is I just... I just find out stuff that that I feel like I need to know, feel like stuff I need to hear, things that I, uh, and I just preach it to you. You know what? You may not like this, but we're all the same. And I'm just, I'm praying that Main Street Church and the people here, that we will become a people of praise. We have so much to be thankful for. And sometimes when we show up, at, at this is just a little bit of a fuss and then I'll move on. Sometimes when we show up at, thir- at 8.30 on Sunday morning, you're just in a big old yawn. And, and, and you're not prepared for this moment. And I pray that I pray to my Heavenly Father with everything that, that when I show up, whether it's 8.30, 45, 6.30 on Wednesday night, that I would enter into His house ready to worship. Psalms 100 as a psalm that we're going to begin working on on November the 1st. We're going to begin working on this, and we're going to try to commit this psalm to our memory. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, not we ourselves. We are His people. Everybody, I want me to read that again. Y'all say amen. We are His people. And the sheep of his pasture. We should enter into his gates with thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him. For he is the Lord. For the Lord is good. His mercy endureth forever. Let me read verse number five to you again. Let me, let me, let me explain something to you, okay? This is just a moment of confession to you. I don't read well. And I try to commit this, this passage to memory. And when I try to read it and then I try to memorize it at the same time, it comes out in what I call the King Wayne version of the Scripture, okay? So the, the challenge for you is for someone who is dyslexic, who doesn't read very well, and because your pastor has, loses his concentration in the middle of stuff, the, constant, the, problem, the challenge for you is you pick up your own copy and read it for yourself. Verse number 5 says this, For the Lord is good. Confession is good for you. It makes you feel better. <clears throat> For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. We are, 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 are people whom God has redeemed. We are people who, who, who belong to the Lord. And last Sunday morning, we saw something in the Scriptures in Numbers chapter 13 and Numbers chapter number 14. We talked about the fact that that God had brought Israel out of Egypt from Exodus 12 to Numbers chapter number 13. That was about 18 months. And they they came out of Egypt. They came through the Red Sea. They, They went to this place called Mount Sinai. They stopped there and they built a tabernacle. And then they went from, ta- from the Mount Sinai to the, to the edge of the promised land, to Numbers chapter number 13, and Moses sent spies into the land. They spied out the land, this land that flowed with milk and honey, the land that God said, I'm giving to you. 
You don't have to go in there and take that from anybody. I'm going to give it to you. And then verse number 1 and 2 of Numbers 14, we found that the people of Israel, the God's, God's chosen people, they murmured all night long. They complained. Murmuring is a wilderness attitude. And from this, from this word murmuring, we come up with five words. Complaining, covet, what's this word? Critical, doubting, rebellious. All of these things happens to the child of God when they murmur. So pastor, is this, a, is this an evangelistic message? Are you preaching to all the hell? No, I'm preaching to the people of God. The people of God who is filled with, with this, this spirit of murmuring, you are, you are going to do these five things. Now listen, these five um, spirits, these five attitudes, this is not like having acne. This is not like menopause. This is not something you go through. This is something that has to be changed. If you're going to go from complaining to a heart of thanksgiving, it's got to change. There's got to be something that changes you. Go to Romans chapter number 8 quickly. What's going to change us from being a coveting people to a people of contentment from a critical child of God, from a child of God that whines and complains to a child of God that has a heart filled with love, if I'm going to change my doubting spirit to a, 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 an attitude of faith, if I'm going to change and quit being rebellious and quit bucking God at everything He does, and I am going to submit myself to the things of God, something has to happen. What has to happen is this. We have to stand on the promises of God. We have to stand on His promises. If we don't stand on His promises, we will be a people that sit on the premises. This is where you start. If you are here, God loves you. But He don't want you to stay that way. And the only thing that will take you from the wilderness land in to the land of promise, to the land of Canaan, to the land that flows with milk and honey, is God's Word. Romans chapter number 8. Now I'm going to ask you for some praises. I, I, I've rehearsed this moment with my Wednesday night crowd. I've rehearsed this moment. I'm going to say, I, will. I need somebody to give me a praise. I praise God because what? I am created in the image of God. Now that's a promise. I am, I am not like that coyote that's in my yard that is leaving all kinds of stuff on my driveway. You won't, I, I, I don't know what coyotes eat, but I'm not that way. Wednesday, I need another praise. Praise the Lord for the blood of Jesus Christ. That wasn't even rehearsed there. That one, but what's, what, what would we do, what would we do, child of God, if it were not for the blood of Jesus Christ? You know what I'd say? If it weren't for the blood of Jesus Christ, I'd say, oh, hell. Hey, man, you got it. You didn't laugh, but you got it. I need one more praise. I praise the Lord that I am created in the image of Jesus Christ. I praise the Lord that for the blood of Jesus Christ. I praise the Lord that the devil's days are numbered. Wednesday night, we discovered that this devil is a real created being. He is not a figment of our imagination. He's real. 
He is our enemy. But the Bible says this, His days are numbered. If I can get standing on those promises, if I can believe in those things, you know what? I'm going to come out of this and start living like this. You know what? I'm going to give you another promise of God. Promise of God starts in Romans chapter number 8, beginning in verse number 16. The Bible says this, The Spirit Himself, Must be talking about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit's a person. The Holy Spirit is Christ. The Holy Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And look what verse 17 says. And the word and is as a conjunction. We're children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. Look at this. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You want to come from here, and you want to live here? Here's your promise from God's Word. The word heir means, it means to to be a sharer. It means to... to, um, have a portion of it. it means to have an allotment. It, it means to 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 have something laid up for you. When when my parents passed away, I was an heir to their fortune. It was we took all the stuff that mom and dad had and we distributed five ways, and I I was an heir to their to their wealth. But you know what? I'm a child of God because I'm a child of God. That makes me an heir of God. But you know what? The Bible says that I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You know what? What does that mean? In the, in the Jewish custom, that there was uh, the father would pass on to his oldest son two-thirds of his estate. Then the other children, regardless of ever how many there were, got the one-third that was left over. See, Jesus Christ is God's eldest son. He is, the, he is my elder brother. And all that God has belongs to Jesus Christ. He is His heir. But you know what? Because I have been adopted into the family of God, because I am a a child of God, I'm not an heir of God. I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ. That means everything that Jesus Christ has, I have also. God God has has made me to, to, to be a part of His divine blessing. Now, here's a question. How do we become children? How do we become heirs of God? Because contrary to teaching that you may hear, not everybody in the world is a child of God. Therefore, not everybody in the world is an heir to God. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter number 5, verse number 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The word blessed is the Hebrew word makarios, and we've spent a lot of time with that word in my ministry. We, we, we talked about it's happy, it's, it's abundantly happy, it's joy. In all circumstances, I am makarios because of who I am in Jesus Christ. Blessed, happy is the child of God. Blessed is he who is poor in the spirit. 
In the, Hebrew, in the Greek language, there are two words. I know what you're thinking. You can't even read English, and here you are talking about Greek and Hebrew. The, the Greek word, there are two Greek words in, in Hebrew. There are two Greek words in Greek for the word poor. There is the word 3993 in, 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 your, in your strong concordance. And it's the word panace, poor. If you are panace poor, that means that you are working poor. That means you toil daily for bread. That means you work six days a week, you work six days a week, 12 hours a day, and you make enough money to just get by. You're not going on vacation. You don't drive a new car. You're, 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 you're working poor is the word panace. But there is another word in the Greek, it's the Greek word 40, I don't know, it's tupas. And what it means is, is beggar. In Luke chapter number 16, verse number 20, there was this man, his name was Lazarus. And Lazarus, he was full of sores, and he begged, he tupassed for the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Lazarus laid at the gate. He laid at this rich man's table. He had absolutely, he was completely and totally bankrupt. He had nothing. Blessed are we when we become two pots before Jesus Christ. We become spiritually bankrupt. We realize that we have absolutely nothing to offer. We are zero. We have nothing. All we can do is lean on and trust in Jesus Christ. And when we become two pots poor and we start trusting in the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then the kingdom of God becomes ours. That's how you, you become a, 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 a heir to Jesus Christ. You become an heir by realizing how bankrupt, how poor you are, and then you... You, you, you receive His forgiveness and you go from a, a, a beggar to, uh, to a, a prince. At Calvary, the believer went through a spiritual transaction. What are you preaching on? I'm preaching on how we as God's people walk from the wilderness into the land of promise. The first thing we have to realize is that we were once two pots, we were once beggars. But when we came to the cross of Jesus Christ, we washed in the blood, we were changed, and we went from two pots to a child of the king. We went from illegitimate, what the King James calls a bastard, to a child. What happened here is that I was washed in the blood. There was a spiritual transaction that, that took place here. I was washed in the blood of, of Jesus Christ. No longer illegitimate, but an adopted child of the King. Now listen to this. Once I come through the cross, once I have been adopted into the family, it is not my challenge... As, as, as a believer, as a child of God, not just to behave correctly. It's not my challenge to, to just keep all the rules. That is, rule keeping is important in the kingdom of God. But it's not the, 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 the greatest objective for the child of God. The greatest objective as a child of God is to realize that you were once illegitimate, you were once a bastard, you have been bought and paid for, now you're a child of the king. Now you've got to stop thinking like a, a, a bastard and you have to think like a child. 
You have to, your, your thinking has to think as though I'm a, I, I belong to the Lord. The Bible says this, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, it has never entered into the hearts of man the things that God have in store for them that love Him. You know what people do? People take 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 9, and they preach on heaven. This verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 9, where the Bible says, ear, eyes not seen, ears not heard. This is a passage to the child of God. Once we realize the work that took place at Calvary, how we have been transformed and how we've changed and who we belong to, and we begin to walk in what God has called us to do, we cannot, we cannot fathom. We cannot get it in our minds. We cannot get it in our hearts. The things that God has in store for us here in the earth, not just in heaven. You know what? Heaven is a wonderful promise. I believe in a place called heaven. But you know what? I'm not preaching on heaven. I'm preaching about the daily walk of the believer. God has in store for us on this side of heaven many, many great things. Why? Because we are His children. We belong to the Lord. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean to be an heir of Jesus Christ? Because we are children of God, our spiritual account has been funded. Philippians 4.13 says this, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. Jesus did everything He needed to do at Calvary to redeem me. When I accepted His forgiveness, when I surrendered my life to Him into my spiritual account, God deposited everything that I needed to be the man that He would have me to be. God left absolutely nothing else. Children of Israel, as they looked into that land of promise and those the land that flowed with milk and honey, listen, I'm giving you that land. That's what God said. You don't have to go in there and you don't have to you don't have to fight and you don't have to do all you just you just go in there and be the people of God and I will take care of you. I can do all things because my spiritual account has been funded, because I belong to the Lord. He has given me everything I need. I had a, a grandmother say to me this week, Pastor, I'm 62 years old and I'm raising my grandchildren. I need patience. You know what? That patience through Jesus Christ, has been deposited into your account. So many times, as a pastor and a husband, and I need wisdom. And, and, and sometimes you just get in over your head. Just following God, you get into places that you can't handle. I need wisdom. The Bible says that God is full of wisdom. And He gives it to us generously. Whoever would ask of Him, 
He generously deposits that into our account. And you can have all the wisdom, all the patience, everything you need. It's in my son Jesus Christ. And because you're my child, because you're an heir to this, you don't have to whine and complain and be critical and doubting and rebellious. You can have a heart filled with thanksgiving because I'm your God, I'm your heavenly father. I am taking care of you. As I was preparing this sermon, I thought about all the people in my life who, who went off to, to college and who didn't have the stuff, the resources they needed to go do what, uh, to get an education. The person that ran to the front of my thinking was my cousin Rodney. Rodney Bunch, at Hope, who worships with us in our second service, is her brother Rodney. Rodney went to Cumberland College and he had nothing. He had no resources. And Rodney went up there and he walked day by day and the Lord opened doors and the Lord closed doors and, and he was a couple years ahead of me and when I got to Cumberland as a freshman there was Rodney and Rodney was an elder statesman at Cumberland. The name Rodney Bunch... On, on, on the campus of Cumberland College, it meant something. The name Rodney in the town of Williamsburg, they knew him. For some reason or another, he got there and he walked to the Lord and he was faithful and God poured out his blessing. See, Rodney's dad passed away three months before Rodney was ever born. Rodney's dad was killed in a coal mine. And when he went up there to go, he had, he had nothing. All he had was Jesus Christ. And the Lord took care of him. And the Lord blessed him. And, 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 and when problems arose, if, if, if the commode got stopped up in the gymnasium, they didn't know how to handle it. They called Rodney. If there was a leak, they called Rodney. Hey, I'm telling you, God has treated us all just like that. He has given us everything that we need. Now watch. When we question God, God, why would you want to use us? Why would, you, why would you want me to live here? You know who I am. You know, you know my I, you know me, you created me. I would be much more suited here. And when we doubt God's blessings upon our life. Now we believe that God can bless everybody else in the world. We believe that God's going to take care of them, but the one person that God forgot about at the cross, the one person that he left out was me. That's the way we think. And the Old Testament book of Jeremiah is a passage that we all know. It's a passage we all quote. But do you believe it? Do you know that God has a plan and a purpose for you? Do you know that, that, that God has already declared that there is a plan for you to be peaceful? There's a plan for you to be happy? Not evil. There's hope for your future. Well, who said that? God said it. And we, 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 we can believe that for everybody else. But we cannot believe it for ourselves. 
So what we have to do is we have to open up God's Word and we have to discover who we are in Jesus Christ. We have to allow the Word of God. Listen, we are who God says we are. It's not what someone else said about me, but it's what God has said about me. I'm going to pick up this, this copy of the Scripture right here. I want to read you something from Ephesians chapter number 1. My gosh. Ephesians chapter number 1. And this is, what, this is how God feels about you. Listen, the Bible repeats itself. The Old Testament book of Joshua, what happened? That's when the children of Israel, they went from, from the land of wilderness into the land of promise. The Old Testament book of Joshua is the New Testament book of Ephesians. <laughs> you don't get that unless you study God's Word. Verse number 3 of Ephesians chapter number 1 says this. This is Paul writing to the, the believers at Ephesians at the church of Ephesus. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Do you write in your Bible? Write that word, the circle, in love. Having predestined us unto the adoption of children of uh, the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us acceptable in the Beloved. He, in, in verse number 7, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the, His riches of grace. Now listen, verse number 4 of Ephesians chapter number 1 says this, that God loves you, and because He has loved you, look at this, these words that He uses to describe you. He describes you in verse number 3 as the word blessed. He's talking about children. He's talking about the, 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 the heirs to His throne. These people are loved and they are blessed. And the word blessed in Ephesians chapter number 1 there is the word, the word blessed means to speak highly of. So what are you saying, Pastor? Are you saying that God, the Creator of heaven and earth, the one that sent His only Son to the cross for me, speaks highly of me? Yes. Because you are no longer illegitimate, because you have been spiritually transformed from an illegitimate child to a child of the King, he speaks highly of you. Well, my neighbor don't say good things about me. My spouse doesn't. I'm, not, I'm talking about God. This is what God says about His children. This is what God says about His people. Verse number 4 says He has chosen you. Can you remember as a child when you went outside to play and we're getting ready to to play kickball or basketball or something, and we're getting ready to choose up teams? Didn't you hate that? huh? I was always chosen right after the real strong girls, and that just bothered me. But you know, you know what? This is why God has chosen you. Allison Holder, you are my child. I have called you. I've chosen you to do a great thing for me. Don't live here. Know that you're adopted. I am, a, I am the biological son of my parents. 
They got me. It was just a, no pun intended. It was a shot in the dark. But listen, those of you who have been adopted, you were, what does it mean? That means He chose you. He picked you out. He wanted you. God, it, you know what it means? It means God likes you. It means that you're accepted. Verse number 6 says, you are accepted in the beloved. When I see you, I see Jesus. Wayne, you, I, excuse me, I thought that was my only son, but it's you, Wayne. You're my adopted child. You have been redeemed. Do you know what it means to be redeemed? Let's say you're running a little short and you need to pay your water bill and you take your lawnmower down to the pawn shop and you pawn it and you take that money and you go pay your water bill. And then two weeks later, you go back to the pawn shop. You know what you're doing? You're going back to redeem your lawnmower. You're going back to buy back that which is yours. That's exactly what happened. We were gods. We belonged to Him in the garden. We fumbled away our salvation. We lost it. And God sent His only Son to buy us back. That's how important you are to God. You are forgiven. You are forgiven in Christ Jesus. All of those things that you have done, all of those sins that you have committed, and you carry them in, you've asked God to forgive you, and, and then you've asked Him to forgive you, and you carry them in. God has just cast them as far as the east is from the west. You walk in it, and you treasure it, but that means absolutely nothing to God. You know what? How in the world, how in the world can the people of God live here? And why would a lost and dying world want to live here? We want to be here. And you can do that when you realize the promises of God. And you can do that when you realize that you're an heir to Jesus Christ. Timothy Henry Gray, 60 years old, was found dead under a Wyoming underpass two days after Christmas, 2012. He died of hypothermia. Homeless. A homeless cowboy. Henry, Timothy Henry Gray's papa made millions copper mining. He made millions in the railroad. He... he, he Timothy Henry Gray's papa, he, he started a little town out well, you may have heard of a little town called Las Vegas. He started it. And when he died, he passed about a billion dollars onto his heirs. Timothy Henry Gray's aunt, great aunt, died at the age of 104. And as his inheritance came to him, they found him dead, froze to death under an underpass in Wyoming, and he was worth $19 million. Timothy Henry Gray ne never... I bet you he knew who his papa was. I bet you he'd heard the stories of what great wealth he had. And he never... You know what I would have done? I would have walked to Wyoming to visit with my great aunt. Honey, you're 104 years old. Where's your... Let's look at this stuff. Because this stuff, I'm an heir to this. 
You know what? I'm an heir of Jesus Christ. Joint heir. Oh, you must be an awful good person. No. It's not about me. It's all about Him. And this morning, I know, I know, I know. We're about ready to enter into a time of invitation. But I'm just going to stop and I'm going to give praise to my God for what He has done for me. I know that I am a child of the King. Bow your head with me, please. Lord, I just... I'm so tickled. Blessed. I don't have an adjective at the moment to to, to describe to you how I feel. Because I'm aware of who I am in you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for making me a child of the King and your son. Would you turn with me, please, in your copy of the Word of God to the book of Psalms. We're going to go to Psalms 100. Then we are going to very quickly, after Psalms 100, we are going to go to Numbers chapter number 8. I'm continuing a series that I began last week, a series that I'm calling Standing on the Promises. Standing on the Promises of God. It is my desire that I and the church that I pastor, it is my desire that we would become a people of praise, that we would become a people whose heart is filled with the love and with the joy of Jesus Christ. It is my desire that when the people of God, the people that worship at Main Street Church, show up at the back door at 8.30 on Sunday morning, 10.45 on Sunday morning, 6.30 on Wednesday night, our hearts would be ready to worship. I pray that we wouldn't be the type of people that have to get in the room and we'd have to have a 15 or 20 minute warm-up service before we're ready to worship. I pray that once we get here, we would be ready and be people of praise. And the way you become people of praise, I believe, is that you stand on the promises of God. Now, Psalms 100 is a passage of Scripture that I'm going to read to you this morning. I'm going to flip very quickly then to Numbers chapter. I'm going to, after Psalms 100, I'm going to go to Romans chapter number 8. But this is a passage of Scripture. Psalms 100 is a passage that we're going to memorize. We're going to rememorize this as a church family, and we're that this whole next month it's just going to be all about praising the Lord, getting our hearts in, in tune with the season of Thanksgiving. And it's not just going to be one day for the people of Main Street. It's going to be a lifestyle for us to have a, a, an attitude of praise. The Bible says in Psalms 100, beginning in verse number 1, read, you can read this with me because you're going to have to commit this to memory at some point. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God, and it is He that has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful and bless His name. Sorry. For the Lord is good. 
I kind of gommed you up there a little bit, didn't I? Psalms 100 is a song of praise to the Lord for His faithfulness to His people. You know what? In the Old Testament, people, when they showed up at the, at the temple to worship, they had to have their hearts filled with thanksgiving, and they had to be serving the Lord with, with gladness, or they were not allowed into the sanctuary. Now listen to this. What if this house, this, this room here, this, this worship center I call it, what if this housed the presence of God, and the only way you could, could be in the presence of God, to be close to Him, was to actually come into this room. And the only way that you could get into this room was you had to show up at the back door with a thankful heart and with a praising attitude and, and serving the Lord with gladness. Now don't raise your hand, but I'm going to ask you a question. How many people this morning would not have been allowed into the sanctuary had that have been the, 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 the criteria for coming to church? In Numbers chapter number 13, we saw the people of God. We watched God bring them from Exodus chapter number 12. He brought them through the wilderness. He brought them to a place called Mount Sinai. They stopped there and they built a tabernacle. After they moved on from the tabernacle, they moved to Numbers chapter number 13 and they come to came right up to the edge of the promised land. And in Numbers chapter number 13, Moses told the 12 spies to go into the land, spy out the land, and come back with a report. Ten of those spies came back with a negative report. Joshua, uh, Joshua and Caleb said, this is a land that flows with milk and honey. This is a great place. We need to go in and take the land. But Numbers chapter number 14 says this, that, that the people of God, the, the, God had promised them the land. said, I'm going to give you this land. You don't have to take it. You don't have to do anything. You just got to go into it. I'm giving it to you. But those people that God had made a, a famous promise to, the Bible says in Numbers chapter number 14, verse number 2, the King James Version, they, they said they murmured. Now, if you have a, a, a translation other than, than uh, uh, King James, your word might be complained. Okay, let me tell you what to do. Draw a, a line through that word, circle it, whatever, and out from it in your Bible write the word murmur. Because the word murmur in the Hebrew gives you five different attitudes. Five different attitudes come from this word murmur. You get a complaining attitude. You get a, what's this word? I always make you say it because I can't say it. You get this critical spirit. You get this doubtful heart. You get this rebellious spirit, this rebellious attitude because of this bad murmuring attitude. Listen to this. Those people took them 18 months to get to Numbers chapter number 13. From Numbers chapter 13 to Numbers chapter number 36, there was 38 years of wandering in the wilderness. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means this, that every man, woman, every man and woman over the age of 20, over those next 38 years died and was buried in the wilderness. Moses preached about 800 funerals a day. And they wandered in that. They're over on the other side there. There's this land that flows with milk and honey. There's walled cities. There's, there's, there's gardens that can be planted. But I'm wandering over here in this wilderness. And I'm eating manna. And I'm, I'm thirsty. And the, what kept them in that wilderness, what kept them there and they all died, was not some big gross sin. It was their attitude. They had this murmuring attitude. They had this wilderness approach to life. They complained. Who did? The lost? The people that are dying? No. 
the children of God. They were murmuring, complaining. They were being critical and doubting. They were rebelling against God. Let me tell you something. This wilderness experience, this wilderness attitude still exists in the church today. And this wilderness attitude, it does not go away. This attitude that, that you have, it's not like having acne. It's not like going through menopause. It, it doesn't go away. It, it hangs on to And the only way that you can get rid of this attitude is for you to know the Word of God. For it's the only way you can do this is for you to stand on the promises of God. That's the only way. Now go with me to, to Romans chapter number 8. As you're going to Romans chapter number 8, I want to remind you that last Sunday morning, we began this series preaching on uh, the promises of God, and we're going to stop being a wilderness attitude people. We're going to become a promised land people. And the way we do that is, is that we, we, we understand the Word. Last Sunday morning, we discovered something. We discovered that every single one of us is created in the image of God. Every one of us. Not just the people that worship here, but people all over the world. Red, yellow, black, white. People from different cultures. People who don't think like me. People who don't talk like me. All of us has been created in the image of God. The creator of heaven and earth is not an East Tennessee God. He loves everybody has that likeness of God. What does it mean to have the likeness of God? That means you can think. That means that you can love. That means you have eternity in your heart. You're not like that coyote that's been wandering back and forth in my yard. You're not, you're not like some other creation. You are the highest form of God creation. That's a promise in God's Word. When you realize how important you are and how God has wired you and how God has designed you, you can come out of this attitude. And last Wednesday night, we looked in God's Word and we discovered that we have an enemy. Lucifer, Satan, the devil. And we discovered that only 35% of Christians, only 35% of believers really believe there's a devil. 65% of the people in the kingdom of God believe that the devil is a figment of our imagination or he is some symbolic uh, evil. The Word of God says he's real. That's the bad news. The good news is this. The promise is this, that his days are numbered. He's already been defeated. This devil, this Lucifer that comes and challenges me all the time, he, he, he's, he's a loser. Or however, however you do that. That's a promise. That's a promise. Where did you get that from Sports Illustrated? No. Did you get that from Readers? No. I got it from the Word of God. I'm coming out of here. I don't want to live here. And I'll be honest with you, I don't want you living here either. I'm kind of tired of this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to stand on the promises of God. And this morning, I'll give you a third promise. A promise that comes out of Romans chapter number 8, beginning in verse number 16. A precious promise that's going to transition us from wilderness people to the, to the promised land people. The Spirit Himself, Romans 8, verse number 16. The Spirit Himself. This is talking about the Holy Spirit. If you're a child of God, this is the one that lives inside you. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, 
then heirs. Heirs of God. And joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I've been saved. Have you? Then you are a child of God. You belong to the Lord. And if you are a child of God, you are an heir. You, you, you are an heir. What's an heir? An heir means a sharer. It's one who obtains a lot or a portion. The person to whom property is passed on after death. My parents passed away and my uh, two sisters and two brothers and myself, we shared in their estate. I was an heir to what my parents had accumulated that fell to me and to my family. But look at what the Bible says. I'm a child of God, so that makes me an heir of God. But not just an heir. I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Now what does that mean? In the Hebrew culture, if I were a, 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 a wealthy man, I started to say if I were a man, but I, if I were a wealthy man and I had children, my oldest son, Homer, Homer would get two-thirds of my estate and the rest of my children would get what's left over. Do you remember the younger son when he came to his father in Luke chapter number 15? He wanted his portion of the estate. There was something that had already been allotted to him. He already had a portion come to him. There was an heir, but it was just a small portion. See, I'm not that way. Because of my older brother, Jesus Christ, because he is my elder brother, and because I have been adopted into the family of God, I have the same heir as Jesus Christ. I can't believe y'all. I cannot believe that you did not shout to God's glory knowing that you are a personal... I'll do it one more time. I'll give you another chance. I'll give you a, you're a personal heir to the things of God. You share the same things that Jesus Christ did. Yes. Now, how do you get to be a child of God? How do you get to be an heir of God? How do you get to be a, the share in the family wealth? Well, the Bible says this in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 3. Blessed is the person who is poor in spirit, for theirs shall be the kingdom of God. Now, in the Greek language, there are two words that, that, that were poor. There is this word that is um, 3993 in your Greek uh, uh, strong concordance, that's panace poor. If you work every day, if you work six days a week, and you make just enough money to pay your bills, and you make just enough monies to eat, then you are panace poor. It, it means to toil for daily bread. You are working poor. You've heard that term before. But there's another word. It's the word tupos. And it means beggar. This is the word that was used in Luke chapter number 16, verse number 20, as they described Lazarus, the one who was full of sores and, and begged for crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. The Bible says, blessed is he who is tupos, who is a beggar in the spirit, for his is the kingdom of, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This is what that means. When I realize that I am spiritually bankrupt, I have absolutely nothing to offer God. I am a sinner. I'm lost. I'm on my way to hell. There is no hope for me. And then I turn to Jesus Christ, bankrupt, tupos, poor. I turn to Him. He redeems me. He saves me, and He takes me from tupos, poor, to a child of the King. That's what it means to, to, to be an heir of Jesus Christ. That means He is, he is moving, moving in our hearts. At Calvary, the believer went through a spiritual transaction. 
When you got saved, there was a spiritual transaction that took place. You were lost. You were illegitimate. The King James uses the word bastard. You belong to the enemy. You did not belong to the Lord. See, there was a time in the Garden of Eden when we belonged to the Lord. We were His. We fumbled. We sinned that away. And now we become the property of the enemy or we are an illegitimate child. When I come to the cross and I recognize that Jesus Christ, God's only Son, died on the cross, that He died to save me, I say, save me, forgive me. I give my life to you. What's happening, there's a transaction taking place. I'm going from illegitimate to a child of the King. I now, once I have come through the cross, come through the blood of Jesus Christ, I am now owned by the King of kings and the Lord of the Lord. I am a child of God. Now, here's what we got to do. If we're going to stop living here, start living here. See, this is where most of the church lives. If Knowing that we've been bought for and played for by the blood of Jesus Christ, being saved is not all about keeping rules. It's not all about just, just um, doing what's right, although that is a very important part of being saved, a major part of salvation is to have our minds change. We need to stop thinking like this illegitimate child, this bastard, this this enemy of God, and we need to realize that we now belong to the Lord, we are His, and we need to start thinking like a child of God. We were, were saved, but we think like sinners. Salvation takes us from a spiritual beggar with no hope to an adopted son or daughter. We are a child of the king. Now, what does that mean? That means that I am now a child. I am now an heir to the things of God. Listen to what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 9. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor it has never entered into the hearts of man the things that God have in store for them that love Him. And you know what preachers do? Preachers take that passage and they preach on heaven. And you know what? It's out of context. God, once I am saved, once I'm born again, once I have been adopted into His family, God has so many great things in store for me See, I'm not illegitimate. I'm not separated from Him. I belong to Him. I am His child. Now He has so many great things in store for me, it's never entered my mind. My eye has never seen anything like this. And you know what? That's why we stay here in this wilderness attitude. Because we think about the cross. And we think about the work of Jesus Christ. And we think about how God loves other people and how God has redeemed other people and how God has brought His family together. He has a great work for everybody. Everybody except me. See, I am the one person at the cross that Jesus Christ excluded. He's got great things in store for everybody except me. That's why we we spend all of our time in this wilderness place because we do not realize what happened at Calvary and whose we are. God, we are God's children and He has so many great things in store for us and He wants us to walk in it and He wants us to stop thinking like sinners and start thinking like saints. I pray 
I pray right now that the next time, now you listen to me because somebody will close us in prayer to me and they'll say this. I pray the next time you hear somebody say that I'm unworthy, I pray that that will pierce your heart because you are not unworthy. Jesus Christ made you worthy. The next time you hear someone refer to themselves as an old sinner saved by grace, I pray that penetrates your heart. Because Jesus Christ did a marvelous work at Calvary, and what He has done, He has taken you from a sinner to a saint. He's taken you to a child. He's transformed you into a child of God. And He has great plans for you. He doesn't have great plans for everybody in the world except you. His great plans include you. Eyes not seen, ears not heard. I told the first service this morning as I was preparing this sermon, I was, the Lord took me back and all the people in my life that I've watched God do great things in their life. I think about the people in my life that, that, that went to college that didn't have the money to go to college. And the Lord took them and my mind ran very quickly to my, <clears throat> to my cousin Rodney. Rodney Bunch. Hope you here? Hope's brother Rodney. <clears throat> Rodney, my cousin, his daddy died. He was killed in a coal mine three months before Rodney was ever born. Rodney was raised up over on the mountain with me. And he was raised by his mom. Wonderful, wonderful mom. Wonderful, wonderful family. Had a brother, two, uh, three sisters. He was raised in, on the mountain. After he graduated from high school, to my surprise, Rodney said, I'm going to go to college. Rodney went to Cumberland College, Williamsburg, Kentucky, and Rodney did not have a pot to spit in. He, had, he didn't have anything. But he went up there and he followed the Lord, and the Lord opened up doors and the Lord closed doors. Financially, he wasn't supposed to be there. He didn't have the money to do what God had set him out to do. Resources-wide, he was, he was bankrupt. He was toothpaste. But he walked and followed, and the Lord took care of him. And by the time I got to Cumberland, Rodney was a senior. Rodney took me under his wing. And let me tell you something. The name Rodney Bunch on the campus of Cumberland College, it meant something. Rodney's name meant something in the town of, town of Williamsburg. Sometimes I just go up and say, y'all know Rodney? No, we know. I said, he's my cousin. <laughs> I, I, honestly, true. Rodney, Rodney went and ran track. Rodney came out of Lake City High School. We didn't, even have a, we didn't know what a track team was. The first track meet Rodney ever went to, he won. <laughs> Honest to goodness, my cousin Rodney was all conference track. You know what? Because of whose we are. Not because of who you are. But because of who you are. Because you've become bankrupt in the Spirit. And you've allowed Him to save you. You've allowed Him to redeem you. God has such a great plan for you. What does it mean? What does it mean to be an heir to Jesus Christ? Because we are children of God... Our spiritual account has been funded. 
Philippians 4, chapter number 13 says this, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. This week I met with a grandmother and the grandmother said to me, Pastor, she said, I'm 62 years old and I'm raising my grandchildren. I need patience. Into that woman's account, God has already deposited enough patience to raise that child. Sometimes as a pastor and you're, you're, you're following the Lord and you're trying to take a church and you're trying to, to, to grow it into what God would have it to be. I have no desire that Main Street would ever be anything that, that I want it to be. I want it to be what God would have it to be. And as I seek the Lord and I follow the Lord, you know what I need? So many times I need wisdom. If people knew me and they knew how much church sense I had, and they knew the wisdom I had concerned about what I'm, what I'm doing. I, let me just say it to you this way. I don't have a clue. And so many times I fall on my knees. And I call out to God and I say, God, what do I need to do? What do we need to do as a church? And somebody will walk into my office and say, we need to start a recovery group. Somebody will come into my office and, and, and say, we need to do... This with our children. See, because I'm a child of God, because I am an heir to who, uh, to Him, He has given me everything I need to be everything that God desires for me to be. God has not shorted me or you on one teeny tiny detail. Do you see why? We have to give effort. We have to work hard at having these poor wilderness attitudes. And what we do, think about that. Numbers chapter number 14. Go home and read that. Two million people, the Bible says, that night, they murmured. They complained. Can you imagine what Moses thought as he walked through the, the camp that night? And he heard people going, no, it's too hot, it's too cold, we just go back to Egypt, it's just going to go. That's all he heard. Murmuring. Complaining. The same God that brought them to the uh, Red Sea, the same God that gave them the pillar of fire at night, the cloud during the day, the manna, the water, the same God was going to take them into But they didn't trust Him. They murmured. We question why would God want to use us? Don't we? I can understand why God won't use you. I can, you look good and you're smart and you, you, you read so well and you look good. Go out. You, you are the perfect person that God would want to use. And we, we know that verse that comes out of Jeremiah chapter number 29, verse number 11, where God says, I want to declare something to you. I want the world to know that there is a plan, there is a purpose for you. My plan, my purpose to you. Now listen, I'm God, I'm declaring something. My plan, my purpose for you is for you to have peace, for you to have joy, for you to have happiness, for you to have a great expectant future. That's my plan for you. We know that verse, don't we? But we don't believe it. We believe that that's good for everybody except me. We must believe that we are the people 
that God says we are. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. I want to get this Bible right here. I've been reading to you from the New King James, but if you listen to this, it comes from the King James. I, I, want, to, I want you to hear these words. Ephesians chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 3. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. Paul's writing to who? He's writing to the church. He's writing to his brothers and sisters in Christ. Blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. You know what? The Bible repeats itself. You remember the Old Testament book of Joshua? What happened in the Old Testament book of Joshua? That's where they crossed through the Jordan and they went into the Promised Land. Am I right? Okay. In the Old Testament, geography is theology. The Old Testament place of blessing was the land of Canaan. The book of Joshua. The book of Ephesians is the same as the Old Testament book of Joshua. Verse 4. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Do you write in your Bible? Write under that word, in love. We just circle that, mark that. Having predestined us, to the adoption of the children by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us acceptable in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of His grace. Are you a child of God? Then this is how God describes you. Verse number 3 says this. That you are blessed. You're an heir. You're blessed. And what that means is this. That means that God has spoken well. Spoken good about you. Well, my neighbor don't talk good about me. I'm not talking about your neighbor. I'm talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because you are His child, He speaks well of you. He said, that's my child. There's Joan, that's my girl. I speak so highly of her. You're, you're not only are you blessed, but you're chosen. Every time I read the word chosen in the Scriptures, I think about those times when uh, uh, as a little child going outside at recess and us getting ready to play kickball or basketball or something, and we, we would line up there and we'd get ready to choose teams. I hated that. I was always chosen right after the real strong girls. But listen. If you've been saved, God's chose you. Picked you out. Verse number 5 says you've been adopted. I am the biological child of my parents. My parents did not adopt me. No pun intended, but I was, I'm just a shot in the dark. You'll get that in a minute. 
But the adoptive child has been picked out. When, when God talks about you as, as though you're adopted, He's saying, I like you. The word adoption in the book of Ephesians meant, meant a lot more to those people than it does to us. Because in those days, you didn't adopt children. See, children would die. And sometimes children just didn't turn out. And say, I was a man of wealth. I'm getting ready to pass on a, a great uh, estate onto my children. And I look at my children. And I look at Homer and I say, I can't give this to him. He's crazy. So what I would do, now honestly, what I would do is I would, I would look around and I would find me, I want to adopt you. I'm going to adopt you, Miss Boy, because you're a good woman and you're you're blessed of God. And I, when I die, I'm going to give all. My, I'm not. Don't let Homer have a dime. You see what that? You see what I'm preaching here? Do you see when 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 Paul says that you're an adopted, that you've been a part of an adoption? How important you are to God? Come out of the wilderness, church. Look what God has done for you. You're accepted. Think of all the places in the world where you have not been accepted. Think of all the times when, 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 when you, the world has turned its back on you, but you are accepted in Jesus Christ. Think of the word redeemed. It's like you, you, the word redeemed is like you don't have the money to pay your water bill, so you take your riding lawnmower down to the pawn shop, and they give you $30 for your pawn shop for your, for your lawnmower. You take the $30, you go pay your water bill, Two weeks later, you come back and you buy back your lawnmower. You're buying back that which is yours. That which belonged to you, you're buying it back. That means you're redeeming it. In the Garden of Eden, we belong to the Lord. We send that away. Jesus Christ went to the cross and died to buy us back. We are so important. God was so heartbroken at our separation that, that we were gone from Him that He sent His only Son to the cross to do what? To redeem us. You're forgiven. The word forgiven is so much so misunderstood. <clears throat> the Bible says that when, when God forgives you, He casts your sin as far as the east is from the west. It's, it's important that you read it east is from the west because if you talk about He casts your sin as far as from the north to the south, do you know that you can measure to the foot from the north pole to the south pole? That can be measured. But you cannot measure east from west. We sin, we come short, we mess up. And we go before our God and we ask God to forgive us. And what does He do? He forgives us. East to west. You know what that means? People says, people says, you sinned and God forgot it. Let me tell you something. God is omniscient. He don't forget nothing. God remembers everything. He knows all things. But when He forgives my sin, it's like that, Taylor Dopel came up to me and said, let me borrow 20 bucks and I'll pay you back on Friday. And then I give him 20 bucks and he come back on Friday and paid me back. You know what? I remember that I loaned him 20 bucks, but since he paid me back, it don't matter no more. That's what forgiveness is. It don't matter no more. That's where we are in Christ Jesus. 
our sins is as far as the east is from the west. Those things that's happened in your past because they are under the blood of Jesus Christ, they simply don't matter anymore. There was a man, he was 60 years old. His name was Timothy Henry Gray. Timothy Henry Gray, he died two days after Christmas in 2012 under an underpass in Wyoming. He died of hypothermia. A homeless cowboy. Timothy Henry Gray, his papa, was a copper miner. Spent a lot of money, worked, built the railroad. Timothy Henry Gray's papa was a very wealthy man. He built a little town out in Nevada called Las Vegas. You may have heard of it. And when he died, he was worth $1 billion in about 1900 And he passed all that wealth down to his children. And Timothy Henry Gray's grandmother, or great aunt, passed away at the age of 104. And Timothy Henry Gray died of hypothermia, a homeless cowboy in Wyoming. He died under a bridge, and he was worth $19 million. Surely to goodness, Mr. Gray had heard about his papa, about his great-grandfather, and what he had done and how he had accumulated wealth. Let me tell you something. If I can dig into my past, I found out my papa owned a coal mine or a copper mine or maybe moonshine or whatever, and he had some money, I'm going to start looking up my relatives, and I'm going to dig into this inheritance. If, my, if I discover that my papa had $1 billion in 1900 and he died, somebody owes me some money, and I'm going, I'm going to get into this. But it's the same way in the spirit. I'm not an old sinner saved by grace. I'm not unworthy. I'm a child of the King. I belong to the Lord. Oh, you must have done some great things in your life. You know what? I've done nothing except humble my heart and bow my knee and call on Jesus Christ and ask Him to save me. And when He saved me, He took me from an illegitimate bastard to a child of the King. And now I'm alone. And you know what? You can do what you want to, but at this moment right here at Main Street Church, I'm going to give praise to my God for what He has done for me. He has done for me what nobody else can do. He has saved me. He has redeemed me. He's given me an inheritance. I belong to the Lord. And you know what? There ain't no way you can change it because it's written in His Word. And this morning, Pastor Wayne Phillips is standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. Bow your heads with me, please. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, Lord, I want you to know that we love you and we praise you and we thank you for what you have done for every single one of us through your Son, Jesus. Through Jesus, We've been made child of the King. Lord, may today you help us to change your heart, change your mind, change your attitude. Because there's a great inheritance that belongs to us. Because we're your child. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.